Well, welcome to the hills, all of you watching online, literally around the world, and all of you in person in Keller, West Fort Worth, North Richmond Hills, and Dallas. I have to join with the chorus of people who are grateful for the men's conference. I saw men from uh, Dallas, West Fort Worth, Keller, North Richmond Hills, from churches across Texas, and some from across the country. So it was powerful. I especially want to thank my sisters, though, because uh, we had ladies in our church from all of our campuses come and serve to make the weekend possible. You blessed us, and I just want to say thank you for that. It was a great weekend, and I'm already excited about the conference next year. So I am finishing a series called Follow the Way, but it's more than a series. It's a strategy that's going to be the way we try to do church going forward, how we look at what we do and what we emphasize. We're trying to follow Jesus the way Jesus meant it. And that means that we will spend time with him and that we will try to become like him and do what he did. So I want to close this series this way. I want to show you this delightful picture that was sent to me last year. This gorgeous young man is named Harrison Shearer. Harrison was in preschool at our Keller campus, and it was career day. So who does Harrison want to be when he grows up? Well, you can tell by the next picture. Harrison has chosen me to be his rabbi, and I am so honored. Now, isn't it true that when we ask children who they want to be when they grow up, the focus is on occupation more than formation. In other words, what we mean is, do you want to be an astronaut or a cowboy or a football player? We don't typically mean, do you want to grow up and be a person who is gentle and kind and joyful and gracious and Christ-like? The emphasis is on skills to acquire more than virtues to develop. But here at the Hills, when we say we are asking for the next generation, we don't mean we are praying the next generation will grow up to be successful and powerful and rich. No, what we're asking is that this next generation will passionately pursue the life and the mission of Jesus. We don't want them just to accept Jesus and practice some superficial form of Christianity. We want them to apprentice under Jesus and be deeply formed by their rabbi. We want them to follow the way of being with Jesus and becoming like Jesus so they can do what Jesus did. That's why I was delighted by this picture from our Keller campus. This is our first teen rooted group led by Jeff Gary, and they're going to spend 10 weeks learning the practices of Jesus that shape them into people that look like their rabbi. Because what you're going to hear consistently going forward at this church is this. The Hills Church exists to make and grow followers of Jesus. And we do this together by being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what Jesus did. What we're trying to do is to find the word follow the way Jesus meant it. It starts with spending time with our rabbi. We call it habitation. And that's why the next series is going to be on how to hear his voice because 
If you can't hear the voice of Jesus, you're not going to spend much time with him. And then from habitation, it moves to formation. We want to become like Jesus. His character grows in us. After Easter, we're going to do a series on how to let the Spirit shape us into the character of Jesus. But realize Jesus has an end in mind for his apprentices that was greater than just their own spiritual development. He was doing something to them so that he could eventually do something through them. They were being trained for a mission to continue to do what he was doing. That's why the book of Acts has this interesting beginning. It was written by Dr. Luke, whose first volume is about the life of Jesus. We call it the Gospel of Luke. But he wrote two volumes, and the second starts this way. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. So in Luke's mind, the story of the church is the story of what Jesus is still doing through the people who have apprenticed under him. We, we begin with habitation. We focus on formation. Why? So that it will result in imitation. So that we will do what our rabbi commissioned us to continue to do. Our mission in every place is to live as if Jesus was in our place. Peter said in 1 Peter 2, this is what you were called to do because Christ suffered for you and gave you an example to follow, so you should do as he did. Now, that immediate context is how we deal with suffering, but the principle is true for every context. We ask the question, if Jesus was in my place, what would he do? Remember years ago, there were the bracelets and the t-shirts, WWJD. What would Jesus do? That's a question we should ask every day. But do we? I have a dear friend in Milton Jones. Uh, he heads Christian Relief Fund that we partner with. But for years, he was a pastor in Seattle. So there was a man near his church named Bill Roberts, 40-something-year-old, successful businessman, had never been to church in his life. Who knows why? But he, got the, he made the decision to go, and he attended Milton's church. On a Sunday, when of all things, Milton is preaching on the return of Christ, the surety of judgment, and you need to be ready. The following Monday afternoon, Milton gets a call. Pastor Jones, you don't know me. My name is Bill Roberts. I need to come and see you and get baptized today because Jesus is coming and I'm not ready. So Milton invites him first to a Bible study, which goes on for over three hours, at which point Bill grabs him and says, Milton, I promise I will read this Bible every day for the rest of my life, but would you baptize me? Jesus is coming and I'm not ready. And so he was baptized. And Bill just became so enthusiastic about his new life in Jesus. In fact, a few weeks later, Milton said, one day unexpected, he dropped by the office. Milt, I've got to show you this verse I read. It's called John 3, 16. Have you ever read that verse? It is awesome. Well, Bill's been going to church now as a new Christian for about two years. And Milton preaches a sermon basically on walking in the steps of Jesus. And the big point was we should always try to do what Jesus did. At the end of the sermon, let's stand, let's sing, and Bill walks to the front. And Milt thinks, oh, he's going to come and say, Milt, pray for me. I haven't been doing what Jesus wants. Instead, Bill said, Milton, that is the most confusing sermon I have ever heard. 
What do you mean we should do what Jesus did? Milton said, well, that is what we should do. And Milton, no, I know, Bill, but Bill said, but are you telling me for two years I've been coming to a church where people haven't decided they're going to do what Jesus did? Didn't you tell me when you baptized me that's what I'm supposed to do? Am I going to a church where people still haven't made up their minds they're going to do what Jesus did? Well, the truth is, in every church, there are people that like Jesus, but they're not really trying to be like Jesus. I mean, most Christians venerate Jesus. We need more Christians who want to imitate Jesus. But that raises a question. (laughs) What exactly did our rabbi do? And so as I'm working on the sermon, I pray and say, God, show me some text that would help me to, to summarize. What did Jesus do? And the Spirit led me to three I want to share with you. First is Mark 3. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and have authority to drive out demons. He's training them to do what he did. Look with me at Luke 4. Jesus went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went to the synagogue as it was a custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed him, unrolling it. He found the place where it's written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus deliberately chose that text because it summarized what he was sent to do. And then one more. Probably no one knew what Jesus did better than Peter. For three years, he watched with him every day and saw for himself. So he's talking to Cornelius, a Gentile. And he says, now you've heard about Jesus. And he put it this way. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. This is what Jesus did. And and I'm going to summarize more in just a second. Before I do summarize, I need to emphasize how he did it. Before we talk about what he did, it needs to be clear how he did it. You hear the text God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. How did Jesus do what he did? Jesus did everything in the power of the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus was fully man. He didn't flex his God muscles. He didn't pull out the God card. His reliance on the Holy Spirit wasn't a possibility. It was an absolute necessity. From start to finish, Jesus kept in step with the Spirit. Luke 1, he was conceived in the power of the Holy Spirit. Luke 10, he was full of joy because of the Holy Spirit. Hebrews 9, he offered his life on the cross by the strength that came from the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, he was raised from the dead in the power of the Holy Spirit. Acts 1, 2, he's teaching about the kingdom of God through the Holy Spirit. 
Perhaps the most important thing we can learn about our rabbi is how important the Holy Spirit was to our rabbi. He did everything through the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus could say when he is about to leave, I know you're sad, but it's better for you if I go away because I will send the comforter, the advocate, the helper. I will send you the Holy Spirit. We spend time with Jesus through intimacy with the Holy Spirit. We become like Jesus through the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. We do what Jesus did with the guidance and enabling of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to talk about what Jesus did. And I admit it could seem a little daunting. But I want you to remember. We can do what Jesus began to do. Because we have the same helper. We can do what Jesus did the same way he did it. In the power of the Holy Spirit. So, what did our rabbi do? I'll sum it up with three quick statements. First, Jesus was a truth teller. He said, he has anointed me to proclaim good news. He appointed 12 and he sent them out to preach. I think sometimes we forget the primary ministry of Jesus was teaching. He was called teacher more than anything else in the gospels. And there's a reason. He knew his mission was going to be challenged by competing narratives because he knew we had an enemy. And he knows the enemy's strategy because it's been around since the beginning of the Bible. The enemy's strategy has been and still is the normalization of untruth. The father of lies majors in deception by making us feel good about the lies that we tell ourselves. We hear it all the time. The father leaving his family because I know God would want me to be happy. The young student at university after a couple of classes who decides I'm just a cosmic accident. The businesswoman who thinks my self-worth is determined by my net worth. The young person who was schooled by this culture to believe my truth comes from within me. It does not come from above me. I determine what my truth is, or as Disney would say, follow your heart. And one of the most accepted lies today is that if you challenge certain narratives, you are a bigot and you are unkind. That you cannot ever challenge my truth. Go to any campus today. And you'll quickly be canceled if you say anything that makes someone say, I don't feel safe because my truth was confronted. Did you hear in 2014, the publishing giant HarperCollins produced an atlas for Middle Eastern schools. And you open it up and you look at the map, there's no Israel. There was Jordan and Syria and Gaza. They took Israel out. And they explained, well, we were trying to be sensitive to uh, local preferences. Well, Israel exists, whether people want it to or not. So in 2015, they came back with an atlas with Israel on the map because truth is true whether or not you like it. 
And Jesus completely disagreed with the premise that if I challenge your truth, that makes me unloving and bigoted because he is God, God is love, and love rejoices in the truth. Imagine going to a doctor and you get a checkup and he says everything looks good and you go get a second opinion because you're not feeling good. And the second doctor says, well, you have spots on your lungs or your arteries are so clogged, you're one jelly donut from a coronary. And you go back to that first doctor. Did your test not reveal this? Yes, they did. Why didn't you tell me? Well, I knew you didn't want to hear it, and, and I wanted my office to be a safe place. You want a doctor that will tell you the truth even when it's hard to hear. This was Jesus' ministry. He consistently challenged prevailing narratives that the enemy had sown in the lives of people. Go back and read what he said. Which of you, by worrying, is going to add a single hour to your life? A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. In a culture that devalued marriage and treated women like they were disposable, Jesus said, what God has put together, no man should tear apart. He also said, if you look at a woman with lust, You've already committed adultery with her. Maybe most offensive of all. If you do not believe I am who I say I am, you will die in your sins. Jesus told the truth. Because sometimes the truth has to make you uncomfortable before it can set you free. So if we're going to do what Jesus did, we've got to tell the truth like Jesus did. With clarity and with charity, you can tell the truth without being a jerk. Scripture says, Ephesians 4, we will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever. They sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ. This is what Jesus did. And to be more like Christ, we will too. But we can't just talk it. We have to walk it. He wasn't just a truth teller. Jesus was a do-gooder. He went around doing good. He sent me to the poor, to the prisoners, to the blind, to the oppressed. You see, following Jesus more than, is more than just a thou shalt not journey. There's no question. If you start to follow Jesus, there's some things from your old life you will stop doing. But following Jesus is so much more than just what you don't do anymore. Did you hear a few uh, years ago, some officers, two of them in Los Angeles, were fired they were in a squad car. They got a call to go to a robbery in progress. They showed up 20 minutes later than it should have taken them to get there. Investigation listened to their talk on their uh, radio. They were playing Pokemon Go on duty. And that's why they were late. You say, well, they didn't commit a crime. What law did they break? Who did they hurt? We would say they deserved to be fired because they had an assignment. That was to show up when there was a need to help people. And that's our assignment. Titus 3, our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. If we follow Jesus, we will be different. And if we follow Jesus, we will make a difference. 
For 2,000 years, that's just what followers of Jesus have done. Our agenda is not removal from the world. Beam me up, God. Get me out of here. Our agenda is renewal of the world. Our agenda is to help bring heaven to earth. And let me just say, you don't want to live in a world without Christianity. Go to any part of the world where the Christian faith has had no influence and compare it to where it has. In fact, I understand the Christian faith has received criticism. Some of it deserved by many people. But the people that criticize Christianity are doing so using values the Christian religion brought to the world. The ideas of dignity and the worth of all people and respect. These are Christian values. You don't want to live in a world that hasn't been influenced by Christianity. Did you know, for example, in 2022, Christian philanthropy accounted for 70% of all American philanthropy? In that same year, Christians gave over $300 billion to address global poverty, more than the U.S. government. That 40 of the 50 biggest charities in our country are faith based. But let's bring it closer to home. Because as we ask for nations and generations, so many of our own goals are simply ways we can do good. People who serve the next generation by teaching Bible classes, by mentoring in Academy 4, by uh, doing support groups through teen life, by uh, taking children to camp and our father's children. They're just doing good. People in our church that are advocating for asylum seekers. Those of you that are fostering children and supporting the families that do. You're doing what Jesus did. We're shifting from serve us to serve us. And here's the thing. Most of the good that we get to do, I would just call random acts of kindness. If you follow Jesus... Almost every day, there's going to be an opportunity just to do a spontaneously good thing. Buy someone some groceries. Give an old person a ride to the doctor. Make a meal for a family down the street whose wife is sick. Mow the yard. Give a young couple who can't afford it some free babysitting so they can get a night out. Visit someone in a nursing home. Write a note to someone that you know is discouraged. And lonely. And these things come at a cost. And if you don't want to get involved, the enemy will always be there to have an excuse you can use. And if you want to follow Jesus, the Spirit will always be there to give you the power you can use to do the next right thing. Galatians 6 says, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. This is what Jesus did. Everywhere he went, he told the truth. He did the next good thing. But he didn't just serve others. He served notice on the enemy's tyranny that it could be escaped. Because there's one more thing about Jesus that I think sometimes we 
we don't recognize as quickly. But it was really a part of who he was and what he did. He was a freedom fighter. Go back and look again at those texts I read. Every one of them brought it up. He appointed 12 to have authority to cast out demons. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and to set the oppressed free. He went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil. See, if you, if you walked with Jesus for those three years, the people that knew him the best and lived with him knew this about him. He believed that there were spiritual dark forces against him led by a real being called the devil. Every New Testament author mentions the devil. Jesus did 25 times. In fact, 1 John 3 says the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Jesus came to enemy territory to confront an illegitimate prince, and every encounter was one-sided. And this is how we explained it in Matthew 12. If I use the power of God's Spirit to force out demons, then the kingdom of God has come to you. If anyone wants to enter a strong person's house and steal his things, he must first tie up the strong person, and then he can steal the things from his house. And this is what Jesus went around doing. Binding Satan and setting people free. And he still does. You know, one of our goals is to see a person a day surrender to Christ and be baptized. You understand every time that happens, there has been a power encounter in the unseen world. Every time that happens, Jesus and Satan have had an encounter. And Satan has been compelled to release his hold on somebody and acknowledge the sovereignty of Jesus. And our rabbi has commissioned us to continue his ministry of bondage breaking. I remember years ago reading a story about a family in Holland in the late 1930s. It was a Dutch pastor, and his family were hiding Jews from the Nazis, and they got discovered. Middle of the night, they were arrested, crammed into a cattle car, headed to Germany, to a concentration camp. They didn't know if it would be Dachau, Buchenwald, Auschwitz. What they knew when they arrived is they'd be separated and ultimately killed. When they got off the train, though, the men that approached them weren't persecutors. They were liberators because the train stopped in Switzerland. Because during the night, someone had courageously tripped a switch and rerouted that train that was headed to perpetual bondage and sent it to a land of freedom. Jesus did a lot of that. And he wants his church to do the same. And a lot of people in our church are freedom fighters. You need to know that. Every time you share your faith with someone, you are fighting for their freedom. Every time you intercede for someone in brokenness and bondage, every time you pray for a lost person, you're fighting for their freedom. All of you that volunteer for Celebrate Recovery are freedom fighters. You ladies in our church that are walking right now with women that want to escape the sex industry are freedom fighters. 
when you give generously to support church plants and mission works, and we're sending people to some of the most unreached places in our country and in the earth, they are taking good news. They are taking light to people in dark dominion and offering freedom. Be open to the ways that God could use you to be a freedom fighter. I had an unexpected opportunity just a few days ago. I get approached by someone who over 20 years ago had slandered me, said something unkind and untrue. And all these years they've lived with the shame of their life. And they approached me in tears and asked for my forgiveness. And I could tell you, honestly, in the power of the Spirit, it was just so easy to say, my brother, I forgive you. Please, I'm not carrying the burden. You're carrying the burden. Let it go. Every time you offer someone forgiveness from your heart, you are setting someone free. This is what followers of Jesus do. We spend time with him because we want to become like him so we can do what he did. Because we know our rabbi is also a king. And we're convinced that one day his kingdom is going to cover the whole earth. And that means that anything that we do that was like something he did is going to last forever. I want you to remember when this series is over, this powerful, important truth. Jesus isn't seeking your acceptance. He wants you to apprentice under him because he has a kingdom to establish. And so he invites you to join him and follow the way. And so each week we close with a question. And this week that question is, is the way I'm doing life bringing the reign of Jesus to others? Am I doing life in a way that makes it clear there's a better option than the kingdoms of this world? So I heard a story of a group from the South some years ago that went on a mission trip up to Pennsylvania sharing their faith and they, they found a man, he was an Amish man and they asked him if he was a Christian and the man thought for a moment and said, wait just a second and he got out a piece of paper and he wrote down a list of names and he handed that list back to them and he said, these are the names of the people who know me the best go ask them if I am a Christian, what I want for you is to be a person that will boldly tell people that you follow the way of Jesus. And what I want for you is that you will live your life in such a way that you don't have to tell people because they will see what you do and they will know who your rabbi is. So let's pray about it. So Father, we confess in the current cultural climate we live, the easy way out is just to 
practice a veneer of Christianity that doesn't really go deep, doesn't ask much, and doesn't cost much. But that's always been true. There's never been an age where following Jesus was easy. And there's never been an age where it wasn't worth it. Because Jesus is worth it. So give us, God, the passion and the courage to take seriously this incredibly challenging and wonderful invitation to apprentice under Rabbi Jesus. Because we need it. And the people we love do too. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.